Well, if you have a Bible, let's open up to Psalm 33. Again, if you have no idea where the Psalms are, you can use the the Pew Bible there in front of you. If you don't have one, you kind of want to go to the middle of your Bible. You should be in the Psalms. And then you probably need to go to the left to get to Psalm 33. Look for the one that has the big 33 at the top. Feel free to use the table of contents. If you don't know where it is, it's totally fine. They would, they would put it in there for a reason. It's not a sin to use it. And remember, we're in the Old Testament, which says somebody's coming, somebody's coming. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the Gospels say someone's here right now. The whole rest of the New Testament says someone's coming again. So who is that someone? The promised Redeemer, our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And so we are going to consider the faithfulness of God this morning as we look at Psalm 33 in the Old Testament. We've been spending kind of our summer series that we're doing is just looking at the fruit of the Spirit. And so we're kind of bouncing around a little bit. Normally what we'll do if, if, you're, if you've been coming or if you're wondering what we normally do, usually what we'll do is we'll get a, take a book and unpack it for a few months uh, or longer like we did in John. But in the summer, we like to kind of do something a little different, and so we're doing a topical study through the fruit of the Spirit, which I I have really benefited tremendously from, and I hope you have as well. And this morning, we're looking at the fruit of faithfulness. Remember, in Galatians 5, 22 to 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's nine of them. Today, we're at number seven, faithfulness. And so as, we, as you're kind of opening there and just kind of wake us up a little bit this morning, I want to ask you a question. What is your favorite thing to eat at your favorite fast food place? You know, you have one and then there's that thing on the menu that's just there. For me, as you know, I am a Bojangles guy. And so for me, it's the Cajun filet biscuit from Bojangles. Uh, you know, feel free to argue with me, but you'll be wrong. The Bojangles Cajun filet biscuit... It's the only thing on the menu in my mind when I drive up to one, when I see that glorious yellow and orange, my heart does a little, skips a little beat. Uh, but you think about your favorite thing from your favorite fast food place, and I want you to ask a question. How many days in a row do you think you could eat that thing before you get sick of it? Like, it might be your favorite now, but how many days in a row do you think you could make it until you say, you know what, I think I've had my fill? As you think about that, I want to introduce you to a 68-year-old man in Fond du Lac, Wisconsin named Dan Gorski. Dan Gorski is an amazing man, and I'll tell you here in just a second, he has eaten a Big Mac every day, sometimes two a day, for 50 years straight. If you're you're doing the math, I did it for you. That is 18,250 days in a row that he has eaten a Big Mac. And you think, well, it should be 18,250 Big Macs. Oh, no. Oh, no. He ate number 32,943 back on May 20th of 2022. Don's still going strong. He has all of the receipts for every single one he has ever eaten. And he he is listed in the Guinness Book of World Records. Like, I couldn't eat a Big Mac every day for 50 days, much less 50 years. And when asked why he does this, he simply says, I love to eat Big Macs. That's a pretty good reason, right? And the Washington Post did an article on him, and here's what they said. They said, Gorski's explanation for his unusual habit is as simple as it is sincere. The first time I had one, I thought it was just the best food ever, he says. And so he kept eating them. 
and eating them. And he swears that each one, the double stack of beef patties complemented by cheese and the chain special sauce and the pickles, is as good as the first. He says, I never get tired of them. Now, you might be wondering, what is this guy's health like? Right? Well, let me tell you. He says he never goes to the doctor, he says, but he has his cholesterol level and blood pressure checked regularly, and both are good. He sees his habit as a gift uh, to as he sees his habit as a gift to his wife, a nurse practitioner who doesn't share his diet, but has never had to cook for her husband. He said the stove in their kitchen looks just like the day we got married in 1973. <laughs> you cannot make this up. Like you, you think real life sometimes is just way more amazing than anything Hollywood could produce. There is a guy. His name is Don Gorski. I will tell you how to spell his name, G-O-R-S-K-E. You can go look it up. It happened just the other day because I, I had told this story before, and then here comes Don Gorski breaking another record, and I had to update my stats on him. The guy's going strong. And we think about Don, I, while, I, while I do not recommend duplicating his achievement, and probably you are like, there's nobody on planet Earth who could duplicate that achievement, you have to admire Mr. Gorski's faithfulness and commitment to his beloved Big Mac. Every day, you can count on Don to be eating a Big Mac. He is dependable like the sunrise. He is going to go in. He's going to eat a Big Mac. He said that he's only missed a few days in his 50 years, and that was because he lives in Wisconsin, and the store was actually snowed in with, went with snow up past the door. That's the only days he's missed. And even then, he would eat Big Macs to make up for the loss. And so this morning, you're like, what in the world does that have to do with the fruit of the Spirit? This, this morning, I'm like, well, let's pray. That was fun, right? So <laughs> this morning, we're talking about fruit number seven on the list that Paul gave, gave us in Galatians 5, 22 to 23. We're looking at the, at the fruit of the Spirit, faithfulness. And so from the Greek, the word there is the word pistis, which is faithfulness. In the Hebrew, it's the word emunah, which means steady or trustworthy, dependable. Here's what Christopher Wright said. He said, on the one hand, being faithful means being trustworthy and dependable. A faithful person is a person of honesty and integrity, someone you can rely on. Faithful people keep their word. They do what they promise. They can be trusted not to cheat or deceive. On the other hand, being faithful means exercising that kind of trustworthy behavior over a long period of time. Faithful people have proved that they can be trusted for the long haul, end quote. Now, you can probably think of someone in your life who is like this, someone who's just faithful, someone who's just dependable. They do what they say, and they say what they mean, and they're just steady. And as you're considering this, I want to teach you a phrase that I have taught campers, and we even talk about it in our own house, and that phrase is WYSIWYG. Say it with me, WYSIWYG. So, where we get WYSIWYG from is what you see is what you get, WYSIWYG. And I love WYSIWYG people. They are people who are always the same, and they, when they say they'll do something, they always follow through. The word is their bond. They don't have ulterior motives. They're just WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. They're faithful. They're dependable. They're like the sunrise. You never have to doubt it. But we can take people like that for granted. We can, we can kind of take their wizzy-wigness for granted. Let me give you an example of that. I promise we're about to get to the text. You know, it's travel season now, and a lot of people are going down to the beach. 
And if you've ever gone and you get your beach rental over, this, over the course of this time, or if you have a, a beach house that you own, number one, call me. We'd love to go check it out. Uh, I'd love to go check on it for you. But you know, when you, you go on a vacation, whether it might be to the mountains, it might be to the beach, it might be out west, whatever it is, you walk into your room, and usually to kind of keep the, the AC bill down, they usually keep the, the blinds closed. One of the first things that you do when you go into that rental house is what? You kind of drop your bags, and you go, and you've, what's the view like? And you go and you open the blinds or you pull back the curtains and you want to know kind of what, what the view looks like. And you might have one of these where you just stand in awe of the view for a few seconds. You just kind of open the blinds and you go, <gasps> and you just kind of sit there and stare out the window. And you're like, I can't believe we're at the beach or I can't believe we're at the mountains. Or, you know, like me when I would go travel for RTS, I'm like, I can't believe I have a view of the air conditioning unit from this Holiday Inn. You know, how did I, how did I score this room? But you think about this, you think about that view that takes your breath away. By the middle of the week, about Wednesday or Thursday, that view that took your breath away is faded into the background because it's already grown familiar. And when we think about this, we can take God's faithfulness for granted because it is faded into the background. Because he's so dependable, it's become familiar to us. And have you ever thought about what your life would look like if you could not depend on the faithfulness of God? What if he only sometimes kept his word? You ever thought about what your life would look like? What I'm trying to do is help us to see that we take the faithfulness of God for granted. And isn't it amazing? What would your life look like if you were not able to depend fully on the faithfulness of God? Here's what Jerry Bridges said, quote, Consider for a moment the absolute necessity of the faithfulness of God. We're dependent upon his faithfulness for our final salvation, 1 Corinthians 1 for deliverance from temptation, 1 Corinthians 10, for ultimate sanctification, 1 Thessalonians 5, for the forgiveness of our sins, 1 John 1, for deliverance through times of suffering, 1 Peter 4, and for the fulfillment of our ultimate hope of eternal life, Hebrews 10. We can easily see that every aspect of the Christian life rests upon the faithfulness of God, and we have the assurance that the Lord is faithful to all His promises, Psalm 145. Just the list goes on and on and on. If you want that quote, it's on the reflection questions if you would like to grab it. The Bible contains over 60 references to the faithfulness of God, and 40 of those are in the Psalms. And we'll just consider one of these Psalms this morning, Psalm 33. And as we look, Psalm 32 and Psalm 33 are connected. Many people think that 33 was written as an extension of 32. Because 32 ends with the command, shout for joy, and 33 begins with that same command. And one commentator said about these psalms that David is blowing on the coals of our hearts so that they will catch fire with worship and praise. Now, why should our hearts burn with praise for the faithfulness of God? Why should we care about that? Let's find out. Let's look at Psalm 33. Don't worry, all this was baked into the time. And just a warning for you, this is going to be another quote-unquote pointless sermon. Okay, so we're just going to go... No points, but that's okay. We're going to make it through. All right, let's give attention to the reading of God's Word, Psalm 33, and be reminded of the faithfulness of God. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to Him with the harp of ten strings. Sing to Him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all His work is done in faithfulness. There's our word. He loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. 
By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth all their host. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the deeps in storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let the inhab- all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. The Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. He frustrates the plans of the peoples. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his heritage. The Lord looks down from heaven and he sees all the children of man. From where he sits enthroned, he looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. He who fashions the hearts of them all and observes all their deeds. The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might it cannot rescue. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him. On those who hope in his steadfast love, that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. Our soul waits for the Lord, for he is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him, because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Verse 11 tells us that the counsel of the Lord stands forever. And also we are told that the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of the Lord stands forever. I'm grateful for that, and I hope you are as well. I pray, let's, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us as we consider his word. Please pray with me. Father, we are grateful that you are the true and faithful one, and that we can trust in and rest in your promises. And as we consider this fruit of faithfulness this morning, O oh Lord, remind us of your faithfulness. Lord, thank you for your word, that you've not left us alone to figure life out, that you've given us your word, you've given us your spirit, you've given us each other. And so, Lord, may we receive this word with gladness and humility. Redescribe reality to us, O Lord, we're so quick to forget. Help us to see that these words come directly from you and help us to receive them as such. We pray these things humbly in Christ's precious name. Amen. And we consider this idea of faithfulness. There is a great story of ill- or illustration of faithfulness in the Bible, and it's the person of Daniel. And he was faithful to everyone around him, the same person, day in and day out. And God used him. He eventually was promoted and kind of moved up through the ranks. And because of that, other people got jealous. In Daniel chapter 6, verse 4, it says, Then the high officials and satraps sought to find a ground for complaint against Daniel with regard to the kingdom. But they could find no ground for complaint or any fault because he was faithful. And no error or fault was found in him. And so even when others came up with a law, you may remember the story, they came up with a law to make it illegal to pray to God. Daniel stayed faithful and he kept praying. If you're familiar with the bluegrass song, he prayed every morning, noon, and night. Oh, Daniel prayed. He was faithful. And even when they threw him into the lion's den, God remained faith, or Daniel remained faithful to God. Now, Some of you grew up in a church background where you now expect me to tell you to go be like Daniel. Go be like Daniel. Go be a Daniel. Okay, I'm not going to do that. And here's why. Because you're going to fail. Because you're not going to be faithful like Daniel. You're going to fail on your own strength. And guess what? So will I. That's why we need Jesus. That's why we need the Holy Spirit. That's why this is a fruit of the Spirit. It's nothing that we have in and of ourselves. It needs to be given to us as a gift. And I've mentioned it several times as we've moved through this series, and I'll mention it again from the Gospel Transformation Study Bible. 
The, the, the author who was writing the footnote said this, Notice that Paul speaks of fruit, not fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is not a checklist to work through, but the unified blossoming of a heart that has been liberated by the gospel of grace. And it's important for us to remember and realize that these are fruits that God produces in you and in me because He loves us, not as rules for us to keep that we earn His love and somehow prove ourselves to Him. Our hearts have been set free by the gospel of grace. And because of that, the Holy Spirit works these fruit into our heart as He changes us through the process of sanctification over the course of our lives. But it's not like we have to come to Him and say, Lord, is this enough faithfulness for You to love me? Is this enough love for You to love me? Is this enough joy or peace or patience or whatever? Is this enough, O Lord? Will this finally be it? We don't have to bring our moral record to Him and say, Lord, is this good enough now to finally merit salvation? That's not how the fruit of the Spirit works. I'm grateful for that because I could never do it. The fruit of the Spirit is a gift from the Father because of what Christ has done. And He changes us over the course of our lives. It's a wonderful thing. And getting that in the proper order changes absolutely everything. And so, but the story of Daniel and the rest of the Bible teaches us one very important thing that God can be trusted to keep His word because He's faithful and He is true. And he is right, and his word never fails. Lamentations 3, 22 to 23. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your what? Faithfulness. Our Lord is faithful. And look at the opening verses of this psalm as we consider it this morning. We're called to shout for joy, praise, give thanks, make melody, sing, play skillfully. Why? Why are we called to do all that stuff? Look at verse 4. For the word of the Lord is upright, and all his work is done in faithfulness. Why do we praise God in this way? Because he's faithful. That's why. God's promises are true. He does everything faithfully. Look at verse 5. It says, um, he loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. We've mentioned this before. This is a massive word, especially in the Psalms. The word Hesed, H-E-S-E-D, your covenant faithfulness, your steadfast love, your loving kindness is a way to translate that word, and that only scratches the surface. It says, the whole earth is full of the covenant faithfulness of God. We look around and we see it. God is faithful, but he's also powerful. Did you see in verses 6 and 9, we're told about the creative work of God. He created all things ex nihilo. That's a fancy phrase for out of nothing. By the word of his power, and he has total control over all that he has made. I mean, look at verse 7. We're reminded of this. I mean, look. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap, and he puts the depths in storehouses. I have no idea what that looks like. But what it shows is a picture of, the power, of a powerful God. Have you ever tried to go gather the ocean in your hands? It doesn't work well, does it? So we have a picture of a faithful but powerful God who is powerful enough to gather the waters together in a heap and he's sovereign over all of it. And look in verse 8. We're called this morning to stand in awe of this powerful and faithful God. Why? Because he is faithful when we are faithless. That's why. This is why we instinctively know that faithfulness has to be a fruit of the Spirit because we understand that by our own nature, we are not faithful. This has to be given to us. 
We don't keep our word. We're not dependable. We're fickle and forgetful. And you think, well, not me. He must be talking about somebody else. Think about all the ways, like, you've changed your mind 15 times this morning. We're not faithful. We don't keep our word. We need the Spirit to change us in this way. I mean, think about when the old, in the Old Testament when the Israelites sang this psalm. They knew their history. Think about the Exodus account. They knew their history. It was one marked by their grumbling and rebellion in the wilderness. It was one marked by their lack of faithfulness. And if God's faithfulness depended on our own faithfulness, we would all be in big trouble, wouldn't we? What if God was only faithful to you if you were faithful enough to him? Then we might as well pack this thing up and go home. Because none of us are faithful to that measure. But aren't you grateful for Christ? It's why we know it would be wrong to sing, Great is my faithfulness, O God my Father. Because it would be a massive lie. I mean, think about this. Think about the words. Great is thy faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with thee. Thou changest not thy compassions. They fail not. As thou hast been, thou forever wilt be. Now change those pronouns. Great is my faithfulness, O God my Father. There is no shadow of turning with me. I changest not. My compassions, they fail not. As you have been, thou forever wilt be. You're like, what? We know that would be a lie. Great is my faithfulness, O God my Father. We can't even get past the first stanza. I changest not. My compassions, they fail not. Yeah, right. And you think about this, and what you see is this massive contrast. And that's a good thing. And thankfully, God's faithfulness stands in sharp contrast to us, and that is amazing news. Again, Christopher Wright said, God can be trusted even when hope and faith seem shattered on the rocks of sin and suffering. You ever felt like that? When you feel like your faith has been shattered on the rocks of sin and suffering. He said, even in that moment, even when life feels like that, you can trust in the faithfulness of God. He's the same. And how do we know that God is that faithful? Because you think, yeah, okay, Dave, pie in the sky, who cares? How do we know that God is that faithful, that we can actually trust him, that we can rest in him? How do we know? Because he sent Jesus. He sent his only son into the world to rescue us when it looked like hope had been, set, had been shattered on the rocks of our own self-inflicted sin and suffering. In the midst of that, God sent forth his Son to rescue and redeem us in the midst of that picture of brokenness. It's unbelievable. When we were at our worst, Christ entered to rescue, to redeem, to do what we could never do on our own, to do what the first Adam messed up. Remember, he only had one rule and he broke it. You think about Genesis 3 and the fall of man into sin. It happens a page and a half in your Bible. That's how far humanity's faithfulness lasted. Literally a page and a half, two pages if you've got a study Bible or a large print. And that's being generous. So you think about, how, oh, we're so faithful. No, we're not. We made it when we were, think about Adam and Eve walking in the cool of the garden with God in, in perfection. And they make it a page and a half. A page and a half is how far we made it. But then, on the like right on the heels of the train wreck of sin, a page and a half in the Bible, God is faithful. And it's actually the first time the gospel's mentioned, Genesis 3.15, that this Redeemer's going to come, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. He's going to come and rescue and redeem and restore. 
a page and a half into the Bible, this Redeemer's promised. It's called the Proto-Euangelion, if you want a fancy phrase. It's the first gospel. You think about that. It's amazing. And, but think about what happened after that fact. Like you open your Bible and you're like, okay, I'm a page and a half in. Adam and Eve messed it up. Like literally in my Bible, they messed it up right here. <laughs> That's where they messed it up. And so then you think, as the, the story progresses in the Scripture, page after page for hundreds of years, the people of God waited for that promised Savior, this one mentioned back in Genesis 3. They wanted to give up, and they almost did. You may have felt like that too. But God kept his word. Again, look at verse 11. The counsel of the Lord stands forever. The plans of his heart to all generations. That's a long, long amount of time, is it not? We think about and consider this. Think about the, just how faithful God has been. Covenant after covenant. Promise after promise. Century after century. God has been faithful. Because he is marked by hesed love, covenant faithfulness, steadfast love. All the promises of God find their fulfillment in Christ. And we think there's even still more promises waiting to be fulfilled in God's redemptive timing. And so what's the call this morning? Trust him. Trust him. When you're prone to doubt, look back and remember the faithfulness of God. Do you remember what God told the people of Israel to do when they were wandering around in the wilderness and they were grumbling and complaining? What did he ask them to do? Remember. Remember. Look back. You know, come thou found of every blessing. It says, here I raise my Ebenezer. You're like, what in the world is that? Ebenezer Scrooge? No, it's a, a stone of remembrance. Here I raise this monument. Hither by thy help I've come. I've come thus far to this point, because of your faithfulness, and I hope by God's good pleasure safely to arrive at home, that your faithfulness will carry me until the end. Promise after promise, covenant after covenant, when you're prone to doubt, look back and remember. Rest in his sovereignty. Trust his good heart and lean into his promises. He is the same God yesterday, today, and forever. If God says it will happen, it will happen. And here's the thing you need to know. God is the ultimate WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. If God says it's going to happen, he's going to keep his word. He's always going to be the same. Doesn't that give you hope? What a comforting thought. Our God is not capricious. Our God is not changing his mind. He's faithful. He's steady. He's like an anchor. We sang a song about it. Numbers 23, 19. It says, God is not man. <laughs> I'm grateful for that. God is not man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not fulfill it? The answer is, of course he's going to keep his word. Of course he's going to be faithful. Oh, but we're so quick to forget, aren't we? We're so quick to forget God's faithfulness. And so what we end up doing is we default back to ourselves. We think, well, I don't know if I can really trust God, but I can trust myself, right? If you want something done right... Who does it? Do it yourself. So we default back to ourselves. But look at verses 16 and 17. It says, The king's not saved by his great army. A warrior's not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation, and by its great might it cannot rescue. 
Now, you might look at this, and you may not look to a war horse or a great army for your salvation. As far as I know, none of you have large standing armies or a, a complete you know, stable full of war horses you know, mounted up with armor. If you do, I'd love to come see them because it sounds cool. So we don't look for, to war horses or to our great army, but I bet you look to other things to save you. Your money, your physical appearance, your family name, your religious resume, your job status, your athletic ability, your social connections, your intellect, whatever it is. It might not be a war horse, but I bet you look to it for salvation. And look at what it says in verse 17. It says, the war horse, or that thing that you look to, is a false hope for salvation. It's a false hope. So what do we do? If we can't look to that, then what do we look to? Verses 18 to 22, we look to the true and faithful one, not ourselves. We trust and look again and remember the faithfulness of God. We look to him. By thy hope, by thy great pleasure, I've, you brought me thus far and you're going to take me all the way home. Lord, you've been faithful up until this point. Why would I ever doubt you until the, moving forward? You've always kept your word. Name one promise in the scripture that he has not been faithful to do. Can't find it because he's faithful. He always is. Aren't you grateful for that? There's an amazing thing. How, how, so how are we called to be faithful? Number one, the thing that I don't do is I don't sit here and wag my finger at and you and tell you, well, go be faithful or else, because you're going to mess up. And so will I. What I'm telling you to do is focus on Christ and see how he was faithful. Think about how he was faithful to the call of the Father to go and to willingly give his life up. To lay down his life for the sake of his enemies. Faithful to the end. Faithful all the way to the end. Yet, Lord, not my will, but yours, O oh Father. Lord, let this cup pass from me, Father. Let this cup pass from me. But, Lord, help me to glorify you in all that I do. He's faithful to the end. Faithful to the cross. Faithful all the way. So how are we called to be faithful? We look to Christ. We don't look to ourselves. We focus on Christ and his faithfulness. But there is, there is a way that we can think about this. And there is a wonderful article called The Glory of Plodding, P-L-O-D-D-I-N-G, written by Kevin DeYoung. And here's what he said. And again, this, this is a long quote, but it's also in the reflection questions if you want it. We're asking, we're almost done. How are we called to be faithful? God's faithful. How do we live in light of that? Here's what DeYoung said. Quote, until we're content with being one of the million nameless, faceless church members and not the next globe-trotting rock star, we aren't ready to be a part of the church. In the grand scheme of things, most of us are going to be more of an ampliitis, Romans 16, or a phlegon, verse 14, than an apostle Paul. And maybe that's why so many Christians are getting tired of the church. We haven't learned how to be part of the crowd. We haven't learned to be ordinary. Our jobs are often mundane. Our devotional lives oftentimes seems like a waste. Church services are often forgettable. That's life. We drive to the same places, go through the same routines with the kids, buy the same groceries at the store, and share a bed with the same person every night. Church is often the same too. Same doctrines, same basic order of worship, same preacher, same people. But in all the smallness and sameness, God's works like the smallest seed in the garden growing to unbelievable heights, like beloved Tychicus, that faithful minister delivering the mail and apostolic greetings in Ephesians 6. Life is usually pretty ordinary, just like following Jesus most days. Daily discipleship is not a new revolution each morning or an agent of global transformation every evening. 
Here's the takeaway. It's a long obedience in the same direction. That's what the Christian life is. A long obedience in the same direction and being faithful in the mundane things. That's what it looks like. And so, what are we, what are we to do? Let's apply this. We keep reading our Bibles. We keep praying. We keep going to church. We keep loving others. We keep serving others. And how do we do it? Faithfully. Let's keep our word. Let's do what we say we will do for the glory of God. And let's do that faithfully. James chapter 5, verse 12 says that we are called to let our yes be yes and our no be no. With God's help, let's be faithful because he's faithful. That's a way that we image and mirror and reflect him in a culture around us that's so quick for doublespeak and backstabbing and lying. Christians can stand out and sparkle like stars in the world because we just keep our word. We're just faithful in the little stuff. Faithful to our employer. Faithful in our jobs, faithful to our family, faithful to our wives, faithful to our husbands, faithful to our kids, faithful in our callings, faithful, just faithful, don't you see? In the mundane stuff, we just are faithful. Let's ask God to help us be WYSIWYG. What you see is what you get. Lord, help me to be that. Help me to be faithful, even when it's hard, even when I don't want to. Help me to be faithful, Lord. Here's the thing. We want to be faithful, not flashy. Faithful, not flashy. Like you just read all this stuff about sometimes church services are kind of boring and they feel the same. Yeah, I know. I get it. Faithful, not flashy. We open the Bible, we read it, we talk about Christ, we go home. I've said I've got one fastball that I throw. It's look to Jesus and I throw it every week. Because you forget it as soon as you walk out. I forget it too. Faithful. Thank you, Lord, that you're faithful. We just keep showing up. Little by little, over the course of our lives, it's a long obedience in the same direction. That's it. Faithful living. Let's ask God to help us be faithful to Him because He was faithful to us first. Help us to live out of that gospel reality. Don't you see what happens when you get it in the right order? We're faithful because He was faithful first. We say, thank you, Lord, that you are that faithful. I can tell y'all are done. Let me finish with this. So there goes boring Dave again with another one of those boring, same pastor, same people, same preacher. Thank you, Kevin DeYoung. I love you. I'm just kidding. All right, Hebrews 10. Let's, let's think, think about this. I want you to consider the faithfulness of God. Remember, we've talked about you go into that vacation rental, you open the blinds, you pull back the curtain, and you go, <gasps> and you stand there for a second, but yet we take it for granted. All I'm reminding you to do, all I'm asking you to do, is remember the faithfulness of God and not take it for granted. You are here at this point in this moment in time because God has been faithful to you already. Amen. And don't take it for granted. Remember the faithfulness of God. Hear this word from Hebrews 10 and we'll be done. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain... That is through his flesh, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a the, with the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Yes, he is. Faithful yesterday, today, and forever into eternity, our faithful God. And we say, Lord, give me some of that because I don't have it on my, in my own. 
Lord, help me to be faithful, even when it hurts. And help us to make much of Christ and very little of ourselves. And help us to be faithful to the end. That's it. Go be faithful, even in the boring stuff. Because God has been faithful to you. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful that you are the true and faithful one. We are thankful that you change us not, your compassions, they fail not. As you have been, you forever will be. Great is your faithfulness. Lord, we are grateful that we do not have to wonder and doubt whether you are going to keep your word. We don't have to wonder if you're going to keep your promises. We think about this promise where you have said, I will return soon, and we say, Jesus, please come quickly. But even as we struggle in this life, when our life feels like it has been smashed on the the shore of sin and suffering, O Lord, we know that you are faithful. And in those moments where the world feels like it's spinning out of control and we're dizzy, O Lord, help us to focus our eyes upon you. Fix our eyes upon Christ. And, And we are grateful that you were faithful, faithful to the end, faithful to come and to live the, lo- the perfect life that we could never live on our own. Faithful, O oh Lord, to go and to, father, and to follow your Father's command. Faithful to go to the cross. Faithful until the end when you uttered, it is finished, and help us to rest in that promise and help us to trust you all the more. We're grateful that you've brought us here thus far by your faithfulness and your grace and your faithfulness will lead us all the way home. And we rest in that for all eternity. Thank you. Lord, may we never take your faithfulness for granted ever again and forgive us for when we have. Help us to be reminded of the great view that we get each and every day of you, the true and faithful one. All these things we ask humbly in the name of our precious Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.